Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The stage is set for the college football playoff national championship between the number one Michigan Wolverines and the number two Washington Huskies. One week left in the National Football League as we get a much clearer picture on whom will be playing in the postseason. Nothing circles the wagons quite like the NFL, and especially once the postseason comes around. Actions and dealings in the NBA and Major League Baseball as well that we could certainly touch on. But starting with the college football playoff, we were away for you for Christmas and New Year's, so we didn't get to give you predictions, which is disappointing for those of you that fade our picks and make monetary gains week after week. Apologies that we weren't there to help you this time. And you had a somewhat going blind as to whom we're going to win bowl games and the college football playoff semifinals. Hand up that I had put all my chips in based on what the committee wanted as their quote-unquote best four teams that because of just how things were going and the way things go in sports... There was no doubt in my mind Alabama and Texas were going to play for the national championship. Well, that is not the case. As both games came down to the wire, both games come down to the final play where we have potentially the best college football semis of all time. Folks finally got their just due, complaining year after year that one or two of the semifinal games were always blowouts and we didn't deserve this and we won close games. Well, you couldn't have asked for anything better than those two finishes and it would rival probably just only last year if we're talking about which were the two greatest semifinals for this college football playoff before we head to 12. But the stage is set, Al. What were your thoughts about those two games and how everything ended up leveling out for the game that we'll watch Monday when it comes down to the national championship between what is at least ranked wise, the two best teams in the country. Well, before we get to that, a belated happy new year to you and your beautiful wife and to all of our friends and fans, belated happy new year. Hope everybody had a happy and healthy holiday season. We're all fighting the virus. We are in my house, unfortunately, which is really its ugly head. But I, at a newly turned, freshly minted 66, have remained the artful Dodger. And I'm still negative, despite, unfortunately, it hitting uh, my beautiful wife and son. Um, we're still rolling here and still tested negative. So good for that. Everybody's okay here. And if everybody else is out there. And everybody should be okay now with the committee. Because based upon the committee selections of, yes, unfortunately, Georgia got squeezed. Uh, but deciding on uh, giving Florida State the short end of the stick, 
we wound up with two excellent matchups, two incredibly competitive games that weren't the greatest works of ours. There were a lot of mistakes, uh, some bad ones, uh, certainly in the first game. Uh, Michigan special teams were a nightmare. The freshman punt returner with the huge fumble, uh, which led to the first Alabama touchdown. But the point is, it, it was an incredibly competitive game. It was hard fought. It had its thrills and spills. And then in game two, you had Washington doing what they do, throw the ball all over the field, uh, looking like the college version of the Dolphins with the left-handed quarterback who slings it from all angles, who gets it out quickly to a bunch of incredibly skilled uh, wide receivers and continuing to do what they do in finding a way when the game looked like it was well in hand of not only having the game become close, but literally due to some questionable play calling and a penalty and poor clock management, literally being one play away from giving the game away, literally giving the game away when Texas had four chances uh, from uh, inside the 20-yard line. Uh, but I think everybody was pleased with the competitiveness of the games, the excitement of the games, because they both come down to the last play. What, what else can you ask for? Were they works of art? These are, don't get me wrong. Personally, when you watch a game, you're going to walk away expecting being disappointed because it wasn't a perfectly played game. You want competitive games. You want exciting games. The Michigan-Alabama game was much more of a defensive game, which is fine by me. The Michigan defense was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. The two Alabama scores were basically set up by mistakes by the freshman wide receiver. He botches the punt early. Instead of them having the ball around midfield, Alabama recovers it, goes in for a quick score. And then later on, on a third down slant, McCarthy makes a great throw, goes right through the freshman wide receiver's hands, which would have been a first down, and there was field for him to continue flying through, and he could fly. He's the one who had the big punt return uh, in the uh, the Big uh, Ten title game. And that results in a punt. And the next Alabama, and only, uh, Alabama touchdown. Continual mistakes and especially missed extra point, missed field goal. Time after time, that same freshman let punts drop and bounce and didn't fair catch them that buried the Michigan to bad field position. And then, of course, the last punt at the end of regulation where the substitute punt returner fumbled it uh, and barely recovered in time to not get crushed, and then got crushed, uh, but to avoid a safety and take the game in overtime. The Michigan defense was phenomenal the entire game. They played great. Uh, play calling by Alabama, questionable. Uh, the, the wonderful quarterback looked flustered at times with the pressure he was under. But the thing that was really impressive to me throughout the game was 
Michigan, I thought, dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, as they've done all year. And they basically refuse to lose. They play old-school football. They run the ball. They throw it to everybody. And they really get in your face defensively. The thing that I was most surprised by in both games, and I said this to our fearless leader, Mr. Russo, is we, we've seen those. No, this is not you know, Jalen Waddell, and this is not the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, and this is not you know, the, the fabulous crew of wide receivers that we've seen come out of Alabama in the last five years. Um, but it's still a very good crew of wide receivers. And we've seen them open all year long in the best conference in the country. When Jalen Milrow wanted to throw deep, every game you've seen them open deep down the field. They were not open deep down the field once. When he had time to throw, they were not open. Michigan secondary did an unbelievable job in defending the big play. They were on those guys like glue. He made a couple throws in the first half. There were good throws deep down the field, and they were all over the wide receivers with beautiful coverage. The Michigan defense was prepared, and they did a great job containing him scrambling. Yeah, he had a few rushes. He's going to. He's a wonderful player. But their, their speed and their athleticism, which is something we're not used to seeing from Michigan. Speed and athleticism, strength, yes, but speed and athleticism is not something we're used to seeing, uh, you know, from from the, the famed Big Ten defenses, especially in Michigan. This defense is very athletic. They're incredibly well coached. Their defensive coordinator who took over for Mike McDonald, who's now the coordinator for the Ravens, has really continued to build. And you see that they guys that got guys that fly to the ball. They have excellent linebackers, and I think that they did an incredible job against the Alabama offense, and their offense did just enough. They weren't great. J.J. Uh, McCarthy didn't have a great game, but he was there to make the big plays when needed, the fourth and two conversion. And look, I don't know if Corm is going to play it down in the NFL. But I would draft Blake Corum if I'm an NFL team just for the size of his heart because he is what a college football player is all about. He may only be five foot seven uh, and 210 pounds, but he plays like he's six foot seven and 350. He is the heart of a lion, and it was so fitting that he scored that winning touchdown early in overtime. Uh, I just love how hard he plays. I love. This is a guy who came back, remember, got hurt last year at the end of the season, uh, did not play hardly at all against Ohio State, and uh, was not available for the playoff. And he came back for, for this season. And he's been terrific all season. He broke their all-time rushing touchdown record. And it was fitting. And when you hear him afterwards, man, we're just the kid with blood all over his face after the Ohio State game, which we talked about on the show. He is what college football 
is supposed to be all about. And I know that sounds corny, but after the nightmare, the disappointment, and the absolute embarrassment that Florida State provided us with in the Orange Bowl, it was nice to see the sport recover. Because we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the Orange Bowl was another embarrassment. Florida State was a pock on college football uh, in the Orange Bowl. But that those two games are what we watch for, plain and simple. I don't think the end result for the Alabama-Michigan game would have been anywhere close to what ended up happening. I shouldn't say anywhere close, but I don't think it goes the same way. But while watching it, there wasn't a part of me that didn't think Florida State couldn't have done what Alabama had done at least through three quarters. Because remember, it's... 13-10 13-10 at halftime, and nobody scores in the third. And Florida State's defense was no joke. So, I mean, at worst, we're looking at 13 to nothing. Of course, we're playing the results. But Florida State's defense, I think, had proven they could have done what Alabama's defense had up to that point. Now, what happens in the fourth quarter, of course, and going into overtime, probably a little bit different. What's under the microscope, again, was what happens in all of football, the last handful of plays, the last touchdowns that matter, this game going into overtime, and then what's going to happen as the overtimes continue potentially, where you're being asked to do things that maybe put you at a disadvantage. Like, for example, the special teams aspect of the Michigan-Alabama game had already had a huge impact on what had happened up to that point, as you had mentioned. Well, now you're in so overtime, it's, it's, and you don't have to worry about that except for it, it, field it, goals. It, it, it's the – It was. Right, 100%. Because – I mean, that's Christmas morning. If you're Michigan, now we're going into overtime. Well, we don't have to worry about muffs. We're good. <laughs> Just got to score. And in the blink of an eye, they did, which sometimes happens in college overtimes where one, two plays, you get all the chunk you need, and it's now up to the other team. I did not. I didn't think so, no. I actually thought if there were a team to go for two, shockingly would have been Alabama that might. At that point, it just seemed like Michigan was starting to figure it out. And... We got a huge, huge break. Because, folks, if you don't know, and I'm not saying you don't know, but to think that that game potentially could have been decided by two-point conversions is something that must change for next year's playoff. Because remember, folks, after the first two possessions, is it two or three? I think it's two. Two is it. And then it goes to the two points. Then it goes, not that you must go for two after a score, that it turns into just a game of two-point conversion. Right. The second possessions, you have to go for two. The third time around, it's just going for two. Can, can you imagine what a 
absolute joke that would have been. And I wasn't sure so, what the case was going to be. I was hoping something was going to come on the screen similar to what happens in the postseason for the NFL. Like, hey, this is how the regular season goes, yes. But for this, it's right. going to be normal and, overtimes and, until and somebody wins. And that's why they must, the committee must make the change. Because you not, cannot have these postseason playoff games, even with the expanded scenario, being decided by uh, two-point conversions, you know, by getting the ball at the three-yard line. And, and who's better at it? No. you got to play an overtime period. Simple as that. Same rules as the pros. You know, each, each team gets a shot. Um, you know, it's going to judge them. And so I was happy that it ended within the first two possessions. Right. Um, and I was, you know, I'm texting back and forth with my buddies watching the game. I said, you, you got you got to send everybody. You got to make Milrow get rid of the ball. You got to make him throw it. You can't, um, you know, you got to send the pressure. And they did every time in the last drive. Um, they did it in overtime. And on the fourth down, they sent everybody. You got to make sure the ball gets out of the best player's hands sooner than he wants to. And I was shocked at the call. I'm a huge quarterback draw fan, but you know a quarterback draw wasn't going to work because they're sending everybody. And he's the guy they're concentrating on. I was shocked they didn't either run an RPO uh, or, you know, drop him back, uh, roll out, something where he could keep a play alive with his legs. And instead they just ran a straight, you know, it really wasn't even a quarterback. First of all, I got blown up by the defensive lineman who just, I know the snap was low, but the defensive lineman just destroyed the offensive lineman and drove him back into Milrow. And that really messed the play up, but there was nowhere to go. I mean, there was no hole. There was no opening. There was no space. So I was really surprised that they ran that play. Um, you know, I, I thought they would do something to be, take better advantage of his legs. Well, you get him back and, you know, we're worst case scenario, if nothing opens up, you can use his scrambling ability to either find somebody or find a way to get himself into the end zone. I mean, the play was so, the play went by so fast, you almost didn't know what happened. It was like, remember the old football arcade games where if you didn't snap the ball in time, the computer would just do it for you and just simulate the play? It was almost like that, where the play clock ran out, the computer snapped the ball, and they just had the guy run straight forward. <laughs> and that was it. In two seconds, the game was over. You're like, what the hell just happened? It was like a cannon got shot, something out of a gun. There he goes, and he's tackled, and it's over in a blink. What happened? The, the play was literally, and I don't mean this in a bad way, although it sounds like it, and it's not meant as a negative commentary or negative point about the game, but the, the last play was literally anticlimactic. Yeah, it was. Which you hate as a viewer because this is it. You can't have a bigger moment than this. This is the buildup. EJ Manuel, former Florida State quarterback, made this point on ACC radio this week, which I thought was a great way to, to make it like a common simile, metaphor, whatever. 
It's like if you're in your car and you accidentally drop your phone and you go to grab it real fast. And in that split second, when you come back up to look at traffic, everything's changed in front of you. That low snap was basically that. Even in that half a second, him having to look down and gather the football, looking back up again, you've missed what you had to see. But even with the snap, I didn't really care for the call. I would have loved to keep it in his hands, certainly, but have some options. I hate final plays. And what do I know? Sitting at home on my couch. But I dislike final plays for quarterbacks or whomever where it seems like there's just one option. Because if that one option gets taken away, you're fucked. I, I also don't like them out of the shotgun when they're that close. I like having them, you know, under the center. I, I think it gives them more options, whether it's play action, whether it's an RPO, whether it's rollout. Uh, I, I'm never thrilled with your shotgun from, uh, you know, from, from that close. Uh, but, you know, Obviously, Houston was one to question Nick Saban and Tommy Reese, right. but I just thought they could have. I, I didn't like the play call. And to Michigan's credit, it was blown up instantly. You know, it was blown up right. before the snap even got to Milrow by the Michigan defensive line just exploding, and especially the one defensive lineman who just blew his guy off the ball back into Milrow. I mean, you saw that guy going backwards into the backfield. Crazy. Um, but Michigan was the better team with the exception of the special teams, the entire game. They deserved to win. I thought they were the better team. Uh, and the better team won. Better team won. And this is the Michigan team we've seen all year. They are resilient. They have great leadership. The thing I'm curious about as we get to the championship game is we haven't seen J.J. McCarthy have a terrific game yet. Right. Some people don't love him. I have grown. He's grown on me. And I think he's got a terrific game in him. Don't get me wrong. It won't be a Michael Paddock's formed in 30-yard passing game. But he is a big, tough kid. And down the stretch, he used his legs more in that game. And I think you'll see that more against Washington. And I think you'll see them throw the ball down the field more against a very mediocre Washington defense, but we'll get to you know, the game in a second. Your thoughts on game two, because here, here's my quick, not so much synopsis, but now this is your conference. I, I know the Texas quarterback was a big time recruit. You know, Mr. Texas football, he takes a million bucks to go to Ohio State and he comes back. I was watching one quarterback throwing the ball like Randy Johnson and the other guy looked like he was throwing 80 miles an hour. I know yours took him down the field and had some nice drives, but he's throwing, you know, darts and the other guy's throwing BBs. There was not one of the last four plays that I thought had any chance of succeeding. You know, I, I wanted to see him drop back and gun the ball somewhere. And he, he didn't gun one of those throws that looked like it did. They were all these softies, put them up, you know, maybe somebody can go up and make a play. And I understand sometimes you have to do that. 
but there was a real one play from the 13-yard line that I thought had any chance of succeeding. There's a lot to be disappointed about if you're a Texas fan. I wasn't sure what the first play call was from first and 12 for the game, checking it down to your running back and having him run out of bounds. What was that? Because it seems like at that point you have to throw the end zone four times. Or if you're going to try for a sideline, you have to go for like the six or the five. There's no sense of you just gaining a yard or, or less. I don't know what happened as far as the play calls go. Cause I thought the, the last pass, which ended up being the game winner for Washington, the had no fade chance. to Adonai Mitchell didn't end up having a chance, but I think that's your, that should have been your first pass. That's the first play. Let's see if this works. We'll send them out one-on-one. We like the coverage. I think pressure got to Quinn a little bit quick and he could, he really needed to just zip it to the front of the end zone instead of throwing that little fade part defended beautifully. Guy was reading it the whole way, but that's your first play. All right. That didn't work. Now we go back to the drawing board. We got three more. The first play was kind of a throwaway, and then you end up getting the the doomed. You're almost sacked on third. Well, now you really only have one more chance. Now what for the, the fun Sark was having earlier in the game when he, they said on the broadcast, he documents like the first 40 plays that they're going to run. Quinn's doing the fake throw to the right, fake throw to the left, running up the gut play where you fake the screens. Like they had all this different stuff coming out of their playbook, which is great. But in that moment where you might need something a little different, it didn't happen. And I'm with you completely. Michael Penix Jr. comes out and just starts slinging it like a video game. First play. He just fires it up complete. And you're just like, oh, my God, here we go. And the whole game, no fear. Just load up. Let it go. You know your receivers are going to make a play. Video game moment after video game moment. And then he was slinging it through these windows that you thought had no chance. He was he hot. He was phenomenal. He was hot. And he's, get, he's been phenomenal. Play leading up to this game, but this was the best he's played. It was absolutely. Uh, it's, the best it's the best I've seen him play. Quinn has thrown passes similarly far down the field to dropping it. He he has one yeah. of those Russell Wilson type arms. We'll just drop right into guy's bucket. Savior worthy. Didn't see it at once. Complete. They tried a couple in the first half out of bounds. Didn't work. And they never went back to it. That threat was never there. Seemingly. It confused the hell out of me to not just try one. Let's see if we could figure it out. They kind of got the passing game figured out in the fourth quarter. On the third, they had the ball for, what, five five minutes at best? Five plays, I think? Whatever it was, they didn't have the football in the whole third quarter. They just didn't touch the football. Credit to Washington. You've seen him more than me, but I never saw the Texas defense play well in the games I watched this year. They have had their flaws this game really showed their flaws. Penix never got, never hit the ground. And they got no pressure. This dude doesn't run on purpose. They don't have him run, and they knew he wouldn't when he signed with Washington because of his knee problems. They're like, hey, man, stay in the pocket. We'll just give you a Joe Moore Award offensive line. You just do the rest. When he started yes. running around, Texas had no answer for it. And I saw plenty of games of their games this year where he was not that good under pressure. Oh. And where he was pressured at times, they got 
an occasional pressure, occasional pressure. And that's when you could tell he was hot because he'd slant sidearm. He'd find, you know, uh, you know, an avenue by dropping his arm down or taking a step in either direction and throw a bullet somewhere. And he wouldn't even do that in the regular season uh, against pressure. And they didn't affect him in any way, shape or form. And yes, that those wide receivers are a load to cover. Uh, they were open deep. They were open over the middle. They were open sideline routes. They were open down the field. And he's, he, I'm telling you, to me, the other, they play just like the Dolphins. They can run when they feel like it. Yep. And they run when they feel like it. But they want to throw it. They want to throw it all over the field. They got the lefty. He, he reminds me of Tua with a bigger arm. He throws the ball a lot like Tua. He comes out quick. He throws it from all angles. He does a lot. They do a lot of wide receiver screens. They do a lot of quick outs. And sometimes against pressure like Tua, he seems to throw it in the ground. <laughs> and he, he can drop it in the bucket, but he can really go deep. He can really throw They looked shot. like they were having so much fun. <laughs> like when your offense is just clicking like that and you could wire it around the field compared to Texas – having balls batted down, holding penalty after holding penalty, hard to get in a rhythm. You don't see the field in the third quarter more more often than not. Washington was just having a blast, and somehow the game is still close. I, I could not believe it. that They were so far the superior team in this game. And somehow, some way. Texas is running four plays from inside the 20 yard. I mean, disaster happens, but you're thinking in your head, okay, here we go with running the football. Texas will have to call its timeouts, but on third down, the drive before the final one, they get a little greedy, try to complete the pass to win. Doesn't end up happening. Texas holds on to its timeout. Very disappointing. Then they're running the football on their last drive to kill time. But, you know, Texas is going to strip it and try to do everything they can. And in your mind, you're thinking, maybe you should just need here to be safe. Your running back gets hurt. And I was not aware of this rule because you don't really ever see it happen. Where if your guy goes down, not on the defense, you got to stop the game. Stop the clock. Get him off the field. You're looking around like, Jesus, they should have carried this guy off like, you know, Brian Russell. Get him get him out of there. Get him to the sideline so the clock doesn't stop. Now you're thinking, oh, no. And then the special teams blunder. God bless special teams on that day overall. Just troubles all over the place. 15 extra yards, and you're thinking, are they going to run this down the field? Yes, they are. That went from <laughs> this is a team of destiny still with the Washington Huskies to this could be one of the worst losses we've seen in the college football playoff real fast. We're right there for it, but the red zone troubles at Texas all year. That's been their Achilles heel. Some of you, you, you could think, well, maybe this is it. They're finally going to dethrone the beast. Didn't happen. That's the first time this season where the, the bad Texas, the here we go again, Texas, that we can't get over the hump, Texas. Couldn't do it because all season, seemingly, except, of course, for the Oklahoma loss where they blew it at the end, they've been able to 
battle the demons that they've always had. And uh, not this they're, time. They're, they're massive defensive linemen. Uh, the big fella in the middle. What's he weigh? About three sixty. God, on a good day. Uh, he was not much of a factor. He really was not. They had one play or one series, I should say. It, it was like third and one. Washington tried to run it. They got stuffed. Fourth and one. They tried to run it again. Got yes. stuffed even worse. That was, was their, like, oh that no. was their best. That was their best stand. Best stand. But then the next time Washington had to go for it, similarly fourth and one, they got it. They went to the left. No problem. Right. They gained like four or five yards. It's like, oh, so that was an anomaly. That's not how it's going to be. Got that, it. That stand and the Washington fumbled punt kept them in the game. It absolutely did. Kept them in the game. Uh, so now we are ready for what I think has a chance to be a terrific game with you know, this vaunted Michigan defense against this high-powered offense. Two teams, two styles are totally different. One throws it all over the field, as you said. They come out rip rearing and ready to go. They're going deep. Dare you to stop us. And Michigan, who says, we're coming at you. We're going to pressure you. We're going to cover you. Uh, We're going to knock you down. We're going to dominate the line of scrimmage. We're going to tackle you. We're going to hit you hard. And we're going to run the football down your throat. And... It, it, it's literally the perfect matchup. One and two, both undefeated. Both have found a way all year long, had some escapes. Uh, I always thought Michigan was one of the two best teams in the country with Georgia. I never thought Washington was, so I was wrong on that front. They proved me wrong. Uh, but I still think if, 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 Michigan can keep that wide receiver group somewhat in control, you know, not four or five deep completions for either touchdowns or setting up touchdowns. They're going to hit one or two, or maybe even three. But I think Michigan can put up 30 points against this team. And I am going to give you a final of Michigan 31, Washington 27. That's the AWP final. It will not be a last-second score. Uh, It may, in fact, be a garbage cover because I think the line is four and a half. Yes. Uh, But I think Michigan's the better team. I think they are – look, both teams are, you know, obviously on a mission as the – as the saying goes, but I think Michigan is playing for everything. Everything. They're playing for their coach. They're playing for their school. They're playing for their offensive linemen who went down. And they're playing, which we'll get to in a minute after we finish this with, with this game, they're playing for college football the way it ought to be in my mind, in my mind, guys who aren't transferring in from all different portals, you know, all different one-stop shopping sites, all different hit and run on the NIL guys who are coming to Michigan, staying in Michigan, playing for Michigan, loving Michigan, playing for their coach, 
playing for their assistant coach who took over, playing Bo Schembechler, not three yards in a cloud of dust, slash disciple of Woody Hayes, but team, 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 team. The team, the team, the team, the team. That's the way they play. That's what I love about it. Because as I said before, even though baseball is my favorite sport, basketball is right behind it. Yeah, I love football, but it's the one I never played. Still, football, unlike any other of our major sports, it's all about the team. It's about that group that puts everything on the line, health and welfare and your body for each other. And they go out there and they do it. And like Blake Corum with that bloody nose and that bloody face after that Ohio State game. Um, that's, that's Michigan. That's Michigan. And I am hoping, no knock on Washington, I am hoping it will be a day for college football the right way. College football. Conversely, I am rooting for Washington for several reasons. One of which is what a great way for the Pac-12 to end its reign and to poo-poo on the people who put greed ahead of some of what you just talked about of college football, tradition, pride, honor, but no, we need those TV dollars. They just have that team of destiny feel to them. And it would be a great story for Michael Penix, those wide receivers and a football coach from what? South Dakota state (laughs) coming out of the woodwork to take the Pac-12 and college football by storm these last couple of years. Where you run into some trouble is this year has broken a lot of molds with these two final teams, especially with Washington, because often the winner of the college football playoff won via a pretty simple formula where you just look at blue chips and recruits and how they've kind of built their team like you were just referring to. There's been three teams since 2000 who have won national titles without having signed a top five class in any of the previous four years. 2010 Auburn, 2016 Clemson, and 2018 Clemson. You may remember the quarterbacks were Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Lawrence. This year... Michigan and or Washington will be the fourth team to do so. Crazy stat that Michigan hasn't signed a top five class in any of the previous four years for starters. Now, say what you will, COVID kind of putting a wrench in a lot of things, of course. The stats of where recruiting goes and how that whole world of college football happens would usually tell you a good idea of whom was going to win. Like for example, Alabama, I think these past two years were Nick Saban's two best recruiting classes ever. And look what happened to them both years. Crazy. You can look at 
probably the easy road and just say which team has the better lines, plural, and which team has the better head coach. And if you're going to do it that way, seeing what Michigan's lines, plural, did against most, I mean, competition all season in the Big Ten, and then again against what Alabama threw at them, that last play, for example, that won them the game, Blake Corum, for example, that last score that won them the game, and what Jim Harbaugh did to Nick Saban and his coaching staff, especially on the scoring plays that Dan Orlovsky was documenting on one of the football shows on SportsCenter ESPN. Your guy, your pal, he did things in that game that were very impressive on both sides. Now, of course, you have coaches doing all this stuff. It's not all on Jim Harbaugh, but that's where it stands. He's the head guy. For what that team went through, you want to talk about a team of destiny and probably being hated by 95% of college football because of the scandals and everything that's being held over them this season. And thriving on it and being motivated by it. I mean, Washington's a team of destiny, but I mean – the the steamroll of Michigan and what they've dealt with this year, that's got a lot of weight behind it, Al. <laughs> that's got a lot of weight behind it this season. I don't know how and, you get over that aspect of it all, those three facts. And, and again, I, I'm just I love the way they attack the game. I love the way they approach the game. They seek to impose their will on you at the point of attack on offensively and defensively. And I do think they got to throw the ball a little more in this game. Um, I think it'll be easier for them to do that. Um, I think you'll see it go down the field more. Roman Wilson, the big tight end, number 18, also, I think will be a bigger factor in this game. He wasn't much of a factor, uh, if at all, in the Alabama game. And don't be surprised if the freshman wide receiver makes it slash punt returner makes a couple big plays. Harbaugh will not shy away from him. He's shown his confidence and no, he didn't put him back there on the last one, but I think he'll be back out there and they'll run some plays for him and he can fly. He is a serious big time guy. And against that Washington defense, I could see him making a couple big plays. Um, this to me is going to come down to the Michigan defense against the Washington offense. Can they keep them relatively under control, as I said before, not shut them down? And can they force a couple turnovers? Because to me, the key type of turnovers are the ones that you make that either create a short field for your offense or prevent a score by your defense. Those are, to me, you know, point-scoring, point-producing turnovers. Do you wind up putting your offense either in or close to the red zone, at least on a positive side of the field? And on defense, do you create a turnover that prevents a score? Where they're on their way in, in your side of the territory. To me, those are point-scoring turnovers. Either they get you points or they take points away. Either way, 
you gain. Can Michigan cause a couple of those with pressure? Yeah. A deflection, a sack and a fumble, a hurried pass that results in an interception, a lot like they did in two spots against Ohio State. And another thing my buddies and I were texting about, for a big guy, McCarthy gets a lot of passes deflected. And he got lucky in that game because, you know, when you get passes deflected up, the team you're rooting for, you hold, you just hold your breath. When you see that ball deflected and go up into the air, you, you literally can't breathe because all you, you, all you can think about is that anybody and everybody can pick it off. Defensive linemen, linebacker, secondary, you're waiting and praying for it to land somewhere. And he got lucky on a couple of those. And then obviously the huge play where it was slightly tipped and deflected and Roman Wilson made the great catch uh, that after the fourth down play that really got them into a scoring position. I think they're hopeful they can have a similar second half to that of Penn State. Because then you avoid potential tips, potential pick six, completely change the game against TCUs. That's the other thing is can they offensively basically keep Washington's offense off the field as much as possible by dominating. Obviously, it's not going to be to the degree they do with Penn State. Right. Um, They would throw the points in the second half. But I I think that they will do everything they can to – flex their muscles, dominate the line of scrimmage, and you know play Michigan football. But I do think you'll see some play action. I think you'll see McCarthy take some more shots down the field. I also think he's a little healthier than he's been. Yeah. Uh, because remember, he's banged up uh, down the stretch of the season, and he looks much healthier. Because remember, his legs are a huge part of their offense. He's a very athletic guy. He's a big, strong guy. He's a good runner. He's a fast runner. He makes good decisions when he's running the ball. Uh, he's got to avoid the big turnover. He's got to avoid, you know, he dodged the bullet on the one early that was intercepted, but it didn't count. Because the, the, the random flea flicker they called that got completely blown up, which they did also against TCU last year. Like these kitschy plays that Jim sometimes wants to, or whoever the OC wants to throw out there every once in a while, Reese, you know, pump the brakes on the little kitschy plays, unless you're, in a pretty comfortable part of the game because they seemingly always get blown up and then you're punting or doing something else. Just take it easy. The only thing you have to be ready for is you haven't seen an offense like this, man. <laughs> you're not getting this over in the Big Ten. This dude coming out and just airing it up. Woo! Well, I'm the, looking the forward other thing, to it. The other thing that people do have to remember, for whatever it's worth, this coaching staff to some degree does know Michael Paddix. True. Because folks, he was the Indiana quarterback for what, two years or three years? I think it was two years. So they played against him a couple times uh, within the last few years. So they're somewhat familiar with him. Um, So I, I think that will also be a little piece to remember with you know the Michigan defense and how they attack him 
uh, it's good. It, I think it has a chance to be a phenomenal game. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. And I am happy that this is the end result. Uh, I didn't want Texas to win. No offense. I didn't want Alabama to win. Uh, absolutely, positively. So it worked out well. It worked out well. I still think Georgia might be the best team in the country. <laughs> and now let's get to that. Everything that is good uh, about college football took place in those semifinals and hopefully will happen on Monday night. College football reared its ugly head at the Orange Bowl because, you know, in a game that I first watched in 1967, which was the 1966 season, where Steve Spurrier was the Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Florida, and my father let me stay up relatively late because it was one of the first times, that was the first year, but it was certainly one of the first years that the Orange Bowl was played at night and obviously has been ever since. What we saw, what we were exposed to, the torture, the insult, the disrespect for the sport, the game, the New Year's Bowl scenario and the Orange Bowl itself by Florida State University, which I discussed with our fearless leader, Chris Russo, a couple of days ago, was a disgrace. It was an absolute, this, this is a team that screamed bloody murder about getting shut out of the Final Four and how we belong, we should be playing, we proved our worth, and I'm sending another quarterback. But so many of these players who shot their mouths off about how good they were and how they deserved to be in this game, in this in, in this playoff, had a chance to go play Georgia, defending national champs, who also got arguably screwed. Maybe not as bad because they did lose a game, but defending national champs, two-time, going for a three-peat. And losing only one game, last game of their year, by a field goal. Virtually everybody played except for Bowers, who was hurt. And their two hotshot wide receivers from the transfer portal who played there for one season. They don't play. How many? 20? 20 of their top players sat out the game and their fans who spent their money to go to the Orange Bowl from Tallahassee, all the people who bought tickets for that game, a national TV audience were exposed to a disgrace, an absolute utter embarrassment. 63 to 3. 60 Three to three. That's right, folks. An undefeated, untied, nationally ranked, we belong Florida State football team. A chunk of them stayed home or on the sidelines and exposed their school, their university, their fans to a 
3-2-3. Disgrace before a prideful, proud Georgia team. Coach should be embarrassed. Team president, school president should be embarrassed. Athletic director should be ashamed. Players should hide their heads. If I am an NFL general manager, I don't want any one of those players who sat out that game on my team. Not a one. Those are players who have no concept of team. Their only concept is money and selfishness. While those Georgia kids were out there playing their hearts out. While McConkie was out there who came off a bum ankle. He's going to play in the NFL. He's going to be drafted. He could have gotten hurt worse. He played. Brian Thomas Jr., probably a first-round pick, caught the winning touchdown for LSU. He played. That's a guy I'll draft. You can take Johnny Wilson and the other guy, with his name, Omar Nelson, and you can stick him where the sun don't shine. I don't want either one of those fucking showboats, big mouth, loud mouth, selfish players on my NFL team. They'll never make it in the NFL. They're soft. They're pansies. They're gutless. Don't want them. Don't want them. I would never draft them. I don't care how big, how tall, how fast. Give me Brian Thomas from LSU. Give me a guy who wants to play. Give me a guy who wants to show his stuff. Give me a guy who wants to be a difference maker for his teammates. And he was. Those guys, you can stay right where you are. Home. I don't watch it. It was just, it was, it was disgraceful. It was a total and complete abortion. I, I don't know how. Florida State should give the money back. They should be required to give the money back. However many millions they got for going, they should give it all back. Because that was a disgrace to the sport. It's incredibly disappointing. And it's disappointing for all the reasons you laid out. How many people are getting drafted day one from Florida State? You can count them on one hand. I can guarantee that. How many people are getting drafted day two or three if they're lucky? Couple more digits, obviously, counting for those players, no question. But if you're trying to move up the draft board, what better game to show your prospective recruits, coaches, teams you're trying to get on than playing fucking Georgia? The two-time national champs who were playing all their players. Even if you play and get killed, you show those scouts your medal. You show those scouts right. your toughness. You show those scouts and front offices your pride and how much you care. Instead, you show them that you are just, as I like to say, a lot of chirp for a chump. And that's what Florida State was. I didn't expect them to win. No. Didn't even expect them to compete right, with, the, with the quarterback situation. But expected them to go out there and play with pride and effort and give it their best shot. And maybe they lose, you know, 28 to 3 or, you know, 31 to 10. But can you show up? 
can you give an effort? Can you try and show us what you meant? Even if you can't pull it off, instead of just saying, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I don't want to twist an ankle. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to tear an ACL. I don't want to take that chance. Uh, you know, I, I'll have my team and my school be utterly embarrassed and shamed, put to shame, put to shame and show that, in fact, we do not belong. I'd want a tape of at least the first half of me playing at my hardest against one of the best teams in the country, and I could hold my head high walking into whatever meeting. Coach, I know you're going to be looking at some of the film from this season. Let me show you this. I know the score doesn't show what we were capable of as a team. We had some injuries. Some guys didn't want to play. The circumstances weren't great. But I wanted to be in that game, and I want I want this to show that I want to be on your football team and play on your field. Instead of not playing for whatever reason, and listen, I get the, the main guys if you don't want to do it. I've never been a sniff close to – the situation that these dudes are in where they're getting life-changing opportunities to play in the National Football League. And they've got three or four years of, of tape and examples of what they're capable of, and they could not play in a bowl game if they don't want to. You know, the committee gave them the two double birds and said games played don't necessarily matter. And they could, as long as they're okay with that decision, they're making it for themselves, you got to tip your cap to them. For those other dudes that just looked around and said, well, he's not playing, he's not playing, he's not playing. This isn't going right. That's not going right. The media is saying this. I ain't going out there. Cowards. For the majority of those dudes. Cowards. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to be able to see this happening, respect what players are doing, understand monetary situations, life situations, health situations. If you can't or won't play in a bowl game, okay. But media and other folks should be able to constructively criticize those decisions as well. And for that game, for that example, it seems like the majority of the situations, you should have been on that football field. God bless you if you think the better option and the better judgment was to sit out the game. We didn't play football at a high school level, college level, professional level, but sometimes just talking with guys that did, you get the sense that the camaraderie and the friendships and the brotherhood of football stands higher than any other sport. You know, we're playing baseball with eight other guys on the field. You've got more players on the team than a basketball team does. Those football guys, man, it's a year-round type thing. And you're grinding, and you're lifting, and you're grunting, and you're sweating, and you're together all year long. You're in text change with former guys from college, former guys from high school, former guys from the league, former guys from travel. The bonds that football players make 
sometimes make me wish I played football just because of that alone. Forget about not wanting to get tackled because that was a thing. For players to just be able to look their teammates in the eye, well, they don't most likely, but to just think about letting those guys down for yourself when it's not an extreme circumstance of understandably you're going first round, understandably you're making X, understandably you're hurt. We get it. There's, there's exceptions to the rules, but in those, I've never understood guys just being able to say I'm out before the last one game of your career. Sometimes it's your last game. I can't do it. I'm, I don't want to, I'm out. It shocks me every most often every time. And a big part of it, I'm sorry. I know it's the new, new, but a big part of it's the portal because you don't build the relationships. You don't build the camera. How many Michigan guys came in through the portal? Do we have that stat? Any idea? You know, we're, 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 half the Florida State team came in through the portal. I don't know. Just have Johnny Wilson, Omar, what's his name? You know, the two hotshot wide receivers, they both came through the portal. I think the portal minimizes camaraderie. I think it creates selfishness. You don't have the same team chemistry. You don't have the same unity. You don't have the same kind of stick to that you do under the usual circumstances. I the circumstances, the way they used to be. One guy, two guys, three guys. Okay. You have 20 guys coming in through the portal. Or fuel. We we lost. We lost to TCU when we didn't believe we should have. Let's run this back one last time. One last ride. Our last year. Let's fucking do it. You know, you you, you got to sprinkle in guys to fill some holes. No question. That's just the world we live in. Yes. Understood. But having that, that fight and that unfinished business mantra, everybody loves to throw around on these these signy day or whatever social media posts. I'm coming back for one more, one last ride. Let's do it. Unfinished business. Yeah. That means something. And that's Michigan. And that's why I have rooted so hard for Michigan throughout this season. Because as I said, and I continue to say, and you know, I said it on this program. Once this Michigan season started, I think they're going to win the national title, and I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be the next coach of the Chargers. Yeah, the whole thing's going to get blown up. He he may not be the head coach of the Chargers because they may not want to pay him, but I think he's leaving. I think they're going to win the national title, and I think he's going to leave for the NFL. And I think it's going to be the perfect ending. And I think it also just may be. It just may be a year for the ages for the Harbaugh brothers. Could be. Who's trying to stop that on the college side? One last stat for you. Number 13, Indiana in 2020. A year, of course, screwed up by a global pandemic. Michael Penix Jr., 30 for 50, 342 and three touchdowns in a 17-point win over number 23, Michigan. Not bad. Mm -hmm. Not bad. That was the Michigan team that got blown out by Ohio State. <laughs> that was the Michigan team that did not have a great season 
jokingly when one Connor Stallions could not be in the stands nor anyone to watch college football that season. That was the joke of the outlier for how some of Jim Harbaugh's programs have gone. Shout out to the folks turning on the national championship and seeing Washington play for the first time this season. It'll be a thrill. And shout out to those that stayed up till one Eastern time to watch them finish playing this past semifinals game. If you Jesus. want to call what they, if you want to call what they did, if you want to call that finish playing. True. They, they went to bed a little early that came and lucked out that Texas didn't capitalize on it. Can we get a kickoff before nine fifteen, please, for a semifinal game? Don't get me started. Uh, you know, and can it be? Do we know what the field is going to be? Be helpful. Do we know what it's going to be? The surface. Be nice to know. We don't know. I don't know. Are, are they laying down a special turf, or is it field turf, or is it? You know, regular grass, it's something going to fall. Is it something going to fall down all, all night on? Yeah, dude. Like they always do in Arizona. We need the Super Bowl fiasco. <clears throat> Everybody was slipping and sliding last year. The, 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 the Arizona turf is always hideous. Yeah. It's always awful. Always awful. As long so, as we got in our Rose Bowl sunset, though, Al. That's it. And, and you know, Kirk Herb Street is correct, and we've discussed this before. The national title game should be in the Rose Bowl every year. I wish someone would make the ramifications or additions or whatever needs to happen for it to be more feasible. Like, fix the stadium up a little bit. Make the traffic not as bad. You've got a whole year to do it if you want to now that the Pac-12 is going away. Do something to the stadium to help us for that instance. But I would love it there, too, yes. Now, did I love going to bed at 1 a.m. because of it? No. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? And if, if you find a way to make it Saturday night. Right. That'd be nice, too. Somebody find hire us. A way, yeah, ha, 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 find a way to make it Saturday night. Plain and simple. No reason ha, why it the, shouldn't be. Have the NFL games at 1 and 4. You already worked out for the semis the trade-off that Monday night, quote-unquote, would just be played on Saturday, so you could have Monday to yourself. Okay. Do something similar to get Saturday, then. You give us a triple header on Saturday. You give us the two FNL games at 1 and 4, and you give us the national title game at 8 o'clock. I can't stand changing the normal day-to-day game-to-game environment in the most important games of the season for sporting events where college basketball teams are used to playing in these thrilling close-knit quarters in arenas. And then for the final four and national championship, they're thrown into 80,000 seat football stadiums and try to make that seem like a normal college basketball game. Getting ready to play on Saturday every week, noon, four, eight, and then this week, Monday. Okay, how about next week? Monday again. What? Let's let's fix it. Let's fix it. Simple fixes. That's all we ask on this show. Simple fixes. Let's fix it. That will do it again next week. Can't wait. 
folks, for my partner, the great Sean Tiny Lund, I am El Renato, a.k.a. Alpha Boy Plains. Have a truly tremendous sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>